The main uh, narrative in Parshat Shlach is naturally the story of the spies, the miraglim that Moshe sent from the desert to bring back a report regarding the land of Israel. Now, the narrative is not clear to us what happened here. In the parsha of Shlach, it appears, says Vaidabir Hashem al Moshe Lemor, the Rabbon Shalom told Moshe, Shlach Anoshim, send people to spy out the land. So uh, it's a commandment from God. Heaven tells him to send spies. And he follows naturally. However, <coughs> Moshe himself in Chumash Dvorim reviews the matter and there he says the uh, uh, masses of the Jewish people approached him and they said let us send spies and we're going to a country we have no intelligence about it we don't know uh, anything about it so let's do it in a rational way and Moshe said I accepted their suggestion so who, who is who is behind this so to speak now Rashi is naturally is aware of this problem of apparent contradiction that here in our parashin Bamidbar it's God telling him to send the spies and in the uh, and in the Chumash uh, it's the people that tell him to send the spies so which is it? so Rashi comes up with a compromise because our parsha begins Shlach Lecho Anoshim the word lecha on your behalf to you is extraneous the Torah could have said shlach anoshim send people why does it say shlach lecha anoshim so Rashi says that heaven told them ani eneni mitzavecha I'm not commanding you to do anything it's not a command from heaven if you want to send, send if you don't want to send, don't send doesn't make a difference because you're going to go to Eretz Israel anyway and uh, because of that therefore uh, we have this uh, Doubt as to what happened here. Shlach lecho. Send. You decide whether you're going to send or not. So according to Moshe, according to Rashi, I mean, according to Rashi, uh, Moshe is the catalyst here. He's the one who decides whether to send or not. 
And therefore, uh, the uh, uh, story in the Chumash of Dvorim, that the people came to him and said, let us send spies, fits in. Moshe was, so to speak, influenced by the popular demand. He wanted to satisfy everyone, which is a problem in leadership. Because it's impossible to satisfy everyone. And therefore, uh, since Moshe had the option, he decided to send the spies. So uh, that's how Rashi and Chazal saw the matter. In other words, all of this is extraneous, it, could, it never should have happened. There had no necessity for it. But the uh, Moshe here appears to be wanting in leadership, so to speak, because he wanted to satisfy the people. They want spies. I'll give them spies. Now Moshe is convinced of the wondrous quality of the land of Israel that he can send spies, he knows they're going to come back with a good report. He knows that it's all going to turn out well, so therefore he feels perfectly safe in risking the matter by sending the spies. It turns out that he miscalculated. The Mephoshim explained that he miscalculated because one of the spies was his Talmud Yehoshua. We meet Yehoshua before in the war against Amalek. We meet Yehoshua at the Maseo Egil. The Torah describes Yehoshua Nar Lo Yomush He is studying Torah. He's He's Moshe's clone. So Moshe, therefore, uh, is of the natural opinion that if Yoshua is there, it's like he's there. And that, therefore, the people would not dare to say anything against the opinion of Yoshua. And he knows that Yoshua will give a positive report. So therefore, he doesn't feel that it's a risk. Because he said, Yoshua. You know, there's a famous uh, anecdote regarding uh, Rabbi Yitzchok Blaser, Rebitzler Petterberger, who was the disciple of Rabbi Saul Salanter. He was the main disciple. Later on, he lived here in Yerushalayim, and he uh, rests on Harazetim. He was a man of extraordinary wisdom and qualities. So, in the uh, 19th century, Jews were not allowed to live 
in St. Petersburg or Moscow in the imperial cities in the uh, middle of the 19th century that decree was relaxed because there were a number of influential wealthy Jews mostly assimilated but who wanted to live in St. Petersburg and they formed a community there and they built a big synagogue there you can see the synagogue today I uh, had the ability to be in that synagogue to see it and so uh, the synagogue needed a rabbi so uh, Rabbi Soil Salanter said to uh, his Talmud to, to Rabbi Salaperterberger uh, why don't you go and uh, you'll be a positive influence and they'll, uh, you'll, you'll make a big difference So Rebitzela said to Yisrael, he said, I'm afraid to go. Because they'll have an influence on me. I'll be the only one. And over a period of time, instead of my influencing them positively, they will influence me negatively. He said, Rebbe, I'm afraid to go. So Rebbe Yisrael answered him, Whom shall I send? Someone who's not afraid? You have to be afraid. Otherwise, no one can go. So Moshe here uh, is in the same position. He's going to send the spies. But one of the spies is going to be Yoshua. And Yoshua is not He's the devoted uh, student of Moshe Rabbeinu. He'll be a positive influence. There's a risk, naturally, but uh, he's confident that Yoshua will carry the day. But in fact, what happens? is that Yoshua and Kolev are able to withstand the influence of the other Miraglim but that the entire project turns into a disaster and that the ten spies uh, twist uh, the facts to make uh, going to the land of Israel very unappetizing and that generation because of the spies is doomed uh, to uh, die in the desert Yoshua and Kolev survived but everybody else is gone So we have here this basic question which I discussed with you. Who told him to send the spies? 
and it seems from Rashi and from the biblical narrative itself that Moshe bows to the will of the people here and is somehow confident that it'll all turn out well because he has Yoshua as one of the spies. And that's the pshat in the Posig. It says, Vayikra Moshe Yoshea binun Yoshua. So Rashi says there, he added a Yud to his name. In other words, he added God's name, so to speak. Yud K to the name of Yoshua. Ko Yoshiacha The Lord will save you from the ideas of the spies. So, uh, in simple explanation, we thought that Atzas Meragli means that Moshe knows in advance that they're going to give a negative report. So he gives you a blessing not to follow that report. If he knows that they're going to give a negative report, why does he send them? So the understanding here is I know that you will be of such influence that their atzas, their thoughts will not prevail because you're there and you are like me and we and the Jewish people will be forced to accept the will of God because they are the Zgula Amim and they have no choice. So that's what it means, you're there and you have your Yoshua. So no matter what the Miraglim say, they won't listen to them, they'll listen to you. And that was a miscalculation on Moshe's part. Because uh, the Atzas Meraglim prevailed. They were more than willing to listen to what the Meraglim said. So that's one issue that, uh, that exists in this story. When what's Moshe's part in it? Who is the catalyst for all of this? The second thing, uh, issue which uh, all the Mephorshim deal with is why did they give a negative report? Why did they see that the glass was half empty? When they could have said it was half full. And in fact they did say look at the wonderful fruit of the country. They said how beautiful it is. They said how people grow up there strong and big. It's a wonderful place. So why did they take that and turn it into a negative? It's too good a country. The people there are too strong. The fruit is too big. It's unusual. We don't want to live that way. Not only that, 
they were accustomed to living in the land of Egypt. The land of Egypt is not dependent upon rain. The entire, even today, uh, 75% of the population lives in the Nile Delta along the banks of the Nile River. So the Nile supplies them with water, with fish, with vegetation. That's what they're accustomed to. The Nile does not reach the land of Israel. We do not have major rivers here. And the Jordan is a trickle. So we have to rely upon heaven, right? It rained this morning. That's what we have to rely upon. But they didn't want that. They weren't accustomed to that. And what compounded the problem was that while they were in the desert, they ate the mon and they drank the waters of the well of Miriam which are supernatural events and which took place outside the land of Israel they're told that when they come to the land of Israel all of this will be turned off and no more mon and no more magical wells there's the nature of the world right there's rain and if God forbid there's not sufficient rain there can be drought so one of the reasons was that they didn't want that people who live a supernatural life don't want to live a natural life that's part of the adjustment in my opinion of living here in the land of Israel is that since our survival in the exile was and still remains supernatural so when we come to the land of Israel we don't want it to be natural we want it to continue to be supernatural so we don't want to be dependent upon uh, economies and uh, all sorts of things in the world it's hard for us to adjust if for 1800 years you're living so to speak miraculously and now you have to live naturally it's difficult uh, someone uh, happens often uh, I've had it in my experience that uh, young men in their 30s come to me and say you know my father-in-law promised me that he was going to support me for 10 years and he kept his word and the 10 years are up what do I do now (laughs) which is a real problem because if you're accustomed for 10 years you know to get a check in the mail and you don't have to do anything for it 
now all of a sudden what are you supposed to do? Especially since you didn't use the 10 years to gain any skills or profession or means of earning a livelihood. So you're stuck. That's what happened to the Jewish people. They, uh, every day the moon fell uh, at their doorstep. The waters of the well of Miriam were always present. And when they weren't, there was a rock that Moshe drew water from. When they wanted meat, there's meat. Now, all of a sudden, the check stopped. You have to do it by yourself. That's a hard adjustment. And that's why we see in the book of Shoftim that it took the Jewish people almost four centuries to adjust to living in the land of Israel. Now in our time we want it to happen in four minutes because we are impatient. But it's a process. And uh, there are parts of the population that still are not uh, part of that process which makes it even more difficult and uh, Chazal always saw it that way that there are times that the people uh, so to speak hide behind piety Somebody comes to um, a wealthy man and he asks him for a loan. And the man says, I'm not going to give you any money, but don't worry, God will help. Mm -hmm. He's not looking for God to help. So we rely upon God. Who said God has to help? Where did that enter into our collective thought process? So that's one stream that the Mephorshim discussed. That the Miraglim gave a negative report because they did not want or they were unable to imagine how the Jewish people, millions of people, are going to live a natural existence after uh, the uh, miracles of uh, the exodus and the 40 years in the desert there's a second idea that's advanced here is that and this is I think a very important idea if you want to have a plan you don't get 12 people to come and give you the plan because then you're going to get 12 different plans and once they're different plans, everyone is invested in their own plan. What they say is right. The other 11 don't know what they're talking about. So, we find later that Moshe only sends two. 
Yehoshua and Kolev. Then Pinchas and Kolev later, Yehoshua sends them. He doesn't send 12 anymore. He doesn't want 12 opinions. Because if you want any sort of legitimate uh, guidance, the more people you ask, the more confused you're going to be. That's the problem of uh, democratic government. The crazies also have a party. They're also entitled to say what they want to say. And therefore you create a society that is fractious and difficult to control and that is always dissatisfied. The 2% that hold this and this program are dissatisfied and they will express their dissatisfaction. So by sending 12, we open the door for the fact that there can be no unanimity here. There can be no one policy. If there's no one policy, then we remain where we were. We're going to stay in the desert. Because we can, we have no plan as to how to adjust to the future. The idea of monarchy that exists within Judaism, Som Tosi Malech Melech, is based upon the fact that at the end somebody has to be responsible. You cannot satisfy everybody all the time. Someone has to take the uh, bit in in one's mouth and move it. That's very hard because we all want to be popular. We don't want to have demonstrations in front of our apartment. So it's better to leave it alone. Even though the problem festers, And leaving it alone is not really a healthy or wise option. So the problem lay when they said, Let us send many people. So Anoshi means at least two. Okay, two. But twelve? And the Torah purposely lists their names because each one is an entity unto itself. The tribe of Osher wants something that the tribe of Zulun does not uh, doesn't think is important. Can't agree on that. Like for instance here in Israel uh, or in any country that uh, is not totalitarian. So you have a budget. The government has a budget. They're going to spend X number of trillions of dollars. Then the question is, how do you cut up the pie? Well, you cannot cut up the pie and satisfy everybody. 
no matter how much money there may be, it can't happen. And therefore, uh, the uh, more people that are involved in creating the budget, the less likely it is uh, that it will come to a true consensus. That's what happened with the Miraglim. It's not that 10 voted no. 10 voted 10 times, each one for its own program. For what it wanted. And Yoshua and Kolev said, Kitova or its mode mode, it's a very good land, we'll go there and we'll figure it out. They don't have a budget, so to speak. So that's a different way of looking at the Miraglim. Then there's a third stream. There are many others, but we only have uh, limited time. Uh, that stream says the people realized, the spies, that when he come to the land of Israel, they're not going to be in office anymore. The leaders that were in the exile are not going to be the leaders of an independent country. It doesn't happen that way. Even in halacha, there's a question. Uh, There's a strong uh, stream of thought amongst the Israeli rabbis and the Israeli poskim, and I'm talking about covering the entire gamut, that they do not take into consideration the opinions of the great rabbis of the exile. They are interested, what did Rav Yoshev say? What did Rav Steinman say? What did Rav Edelstein say? They don't ask, what did Rabbi Feinstein say? But what did Rabbi Salavechik say? They're not interested in what Chutzlars has to say. Because when you live in Eretz Israel, so they, they're the Mordasra. They're the ones that are in charge. So all of these people realize that they're about to lose power. And power is a very, very difficult thing to deal with. And losing power, you know, they asked Harry Truman after he uh, was no longer the president, what, he, what did he miss the most? I think he lived uh, 10 or 15 years after uh, relinquishing the presidency. And he answered as only Truman could. He said, I miss that when I walk in the room, there is no Marine band that plays Hail to the Chief. That's the best description of power. So they're going to lose it. The only two that are not going to lose it are Kalev and Yoshua. They know they're not going to lose it. 
That's why Kolev goes to uh, Kivrei Ovos to pray. So he knows that, that he's not going to lose anything. And Yoshua is Moshe, he's not going to lose anything. But the other ten are going to lose everything. They're not going to play hail to the chief or whatever. They couldn't put up with that. They said better to stay in the desert, better to be uh, the way we are now, than to uh, become a plain citizen. It's very difficult to become a plain citizen. That's a problem not only by uh, politicians. It's a problem by uh, great men. Zygmora tells us about the the great uh, Rosh Hashiva, the Tana, that uh, he no longer uh, was able to function. And, uh, and he tried to adjust to a new life of retirement, let's say. And then he said, no, he said, uh, take me, God. I can't live this way. can't walk away from it. So that's a human instinct. It's built into all of us. So that also plays a role here in the story of the Miraglin. It helps explain what happened here. And they were all pious people. Kula Manoshim, Roshim Yisraelim. We're not talking about people who are non-believers. But we're talking about human beings. Human beings find it very hard to be able to leave power and influence and what they did their entire lives and to become, so to speak, nobody when all of their life they thought they were somebody. So these are all thoughts that exist in the Parsha. Uh, very, very well developed by all of the Mephorshim. And there are hundreds of ideas involved in the story. And therefore it remains timeless. It's not just a matter of history of what happened there, but it's a comment on people and on lives and societies in our time. And that's how we should always be able to look at Torah. Thank you for coming and have a Shabbat Shalom. And be well.